Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Gavin Esler. If you had to think about what Donald Trump is very good at, then the answer is easy. It's making the news. Trump is a genius at stealing headlines and distracting journalists and voters with his words and behaviour. But since Trump looks almost certain to be the Republican presidential candidate for November's election, what of his almost certain Democratic Party opponent, President Joe Biden? What is the route this 80-something can take to a second term? Can Biden stay above the dirty business of Trump mud-wrestling and act presidential as commander-in-chief? And what can he do to win over the doubters who don't like Trump but are not keen on four more years of Biden either? One thing Joe Biden is doing is raising money. I happened to be stuck behind his motorcade in Miami last week when he told Democratic Party donors that he could win Florida. Well, maybe. Florida folk I talked with were, shall we say, sceptical. But for some real insight into the Biden campaign, I'm delighted to be talking again with Molly Jongfast, journalist, author, political commentator and presenter of the excellent Fast Politics podcast. Welcome back to The Bunker, Molly. Thank you for having me. Well, do you have a sense of how Joe Biden will construct his re-election campaign? I mean, is there some kind of plan that he's already beginning to action? So I think the 2020 campaign was really a different campaign, right? Because the 2020 campaign was Biden not able to get out as much because of the pandemic. I think this will be a much more sort of visible campaign There is Jen O'Malley Dillon, who was the campaign manager the first time is coming back. Um, She's sort of thought to be kind of a genius at this. And so I think a lot of people think that's a really good sign. I mean, look, Biden world ran a good campaign. I think that will happen again, is my guess. Is one of his strengths that to many people, at least, he's relatable. He's got an interesting backstory. I know there's some family things that he is not so fond of talking about. But his his basic story is kind of a good one, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, he sort of tells the stories of his childhood. He, you know, he's actually like very chatty and emotional and and tells these stories. I mean, he's an interesting candidate. I'm, the thing that I think Trump world has made a mistake with, and they've done this numerous times, and I'll be interested to see how it plays, they keep making this mistake where they want to run Trump on Biden's mental acuity. You know, they say he's not that with it. He's not that together. And then you watch him and Trump has like more gaffes and more mental acuity problems. I don't know if you saw, you know, he confused Nancy Pelosi with Nikki Haley, right? He's had all of these, you know, he thought he was running against Obama instead of Biden. He didn't want to get into World War II. You know, he's constantly kind of like having these gaps. So as much as I see that there really is a, I think there's a polling issue, though I just talked to a pollster who said they thought that low quality uh, partisan polls were yet again messing up the averages. Um, an old Democrat friend of mine quoted the old adage that if you get involved in mud wrestling with a pig, you both get dirty and the pig likes it. And he was meaning Trump. So the question is, can Biden stay above the dirty stuff when he's going to take all kinds of stuff from the other side? Uh, yeah. I mean, the reason why Biden sort of why the field coalesced around him the last time 
was because in this sort of collective hive mind, there was a feeling that Biden was the most electable candidate. You know, I mean, look, after 2016, there was a lot of anxiety that perhaps Hillary had not won, not because she wasn't a good candidate, though there's some question about that, but but because she was a woman and America is not ready to elect a woman, right? That was the anxiety. Now, is that true? I don't know, but it felt true to a lot of the pundit class. And so that I think that some of nominating Biden was this reaction, right? This worry that only a guy who looks like an old white guy is going to be able to beat Donald Trump. So as much as there's like so much criticism about Biden's age, Biden got the nomination because he was old, right? And so I do think that's worth thinking about. I mean, if you looked at that field, there were a lot of young guys in that field. And a lot of them were, you know, white guys. But the guy who really sort of read as the person who could take out Donald Trump and ultimately was, unfortunately, he'll have to do it again, uh, was Joe Biden. I suppose one of, let's talk about his one big advantage is he can look presidential. He is the commander in chief and there's a lot going on in the world. So all of that, puts him, if he wants to be, above the mess of the gutter politics, which will also take place. I mean, I don't know how you get above the mess of the gutter politics in this country, right? Okay, fair point. I mean, I think, like, American political life is so, at this point, demented and deranged. I think that Biden, by design, reads like, you know, he's a guy from, working class guy from Pennsylvania, And so I think that voters, at least in 2020, responded to that and they said, you know, this is our guy. Look, the thing with this election, you have an incumbent versus an incumbent. It's never happened, right? You never had a world where you had two incumbents versus each other. You have uh, an economic situation where it was very inflationary after the pandemic. It's going down. The labor market's very tight. So like 1948, right? A situation after World War II, a lot of people came back. There was a sort of transitory inflation, just like there was after the pandemic. You know, people were home. Now they're not home. You know, the same kind of thing. And so the question is, can Biden pull a Truman, right? Can he convince voters that he is responsible for the economic soft landing, Will inflation go down enough so that they're not mad at him about how much their chicken costs and instead worried about democracy and and they don't want Trump back? And that's a real question. Immigration is going to be a big issue, though, isn't it? I mean, we've heard uh, there's various things going on. But in New York, for example, we've seen uh, some of the scenes there, some of the violence and some of the people being very fed up with the way things have gone in a traditionally Democrat state. So Trump, that's one of Trump's big issues, isn't it? So I would say yes. I mean, now, why are we talking about immigration? Because the economy is much better, right? Would we be talking about immigration if the economy were still floundering? No, right? This soft landing has happened. So Republicans have shifted the narrative to immigration. Now, one of the things that's very craven and evil, but also politically smart, is that Republican politicians have started shipping these immigrants to blue cities in the hopes of 
creating the media spectacle, which they are able to create. And I think the reason why border communities don't get the same coverage is because the media is, you know, based in New York. So they are looking at the New York Post. So I think that is uh, certainly has worked well for Republicans. I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, Abbott has spent $127 million sending uh, migrants to New York. So clearly, this is, uh, you know, this is a craven political ploy, but it is working to shift the, shift the conversation to that. That's from Texas. He's, he's, he's yes. putting people on buses and whatever and getting them to New York and saying, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. And saying, look, look what we have to put up with. So, but that's not going to win uh, Trump New York State, I suspect, but it may play very well in some other states which are up for grabs. So, so Biden may have problems with that issue. Well, here's the problem if you look at this legislation that just happened. So uh, Republicans said they wanted a border bill. They said they would not send aid to Ukraine until they had a border bill. So Murphy and Cinema and Lankford went and sat in a room for four months and they put together a border bill. Republicans said the border bill is trash. We're not going to even take it up for a vote. They're now bullying the Senate so the Senate can't take it up for a vote. How do you say the border is our biggest issue, but we refuse to look at your legislation, which is one of the most conservative legislations? I mean, it has all sorts of caps on asylum. It does not deal with dreamers. It's a very conservative legislation. Uh, progressives are up in arms about it, and Republicans are like, we're not even going to vote on it. It's uh, House Speaker Mike Johnson, with a one-vote majority, says it is dead on arrival. Before even reading the bill, he said it was dead on arrival. Right. So that could play for Biden if he says there's this terrible do-nothing Congress, uh, won't pass a border bill. You want one, we've got one, but you're not going to pass it. So they're useless. So it, it could play quite well with him then in the end. Yeah, I mean, the problem is that Biden world needs to get out there more, right? This has always been their problem. They need to permeate the media landscape to get out there and talk to voters. It's all about how much information these voters are getting, right? That's a big question. When I was based in Washington, I saw a lot of presidential candidates literally sitting in a studio and doing back-to-back three- to five-minute interviews with TV stations all across the country for several days on end. It was exhausting for them. It was exhausting for people much right. younger. Biden's going to find that very difficult. Trump may find that very difficult. Maybe he won't do it. But that is one of the ways you get to people's homes, isn't it? To go on local right. TV. And it's really tiring. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think I, I mean, again, this is this Trump thing where they run on mental acuity on this fantasy that Trump is somehow more mentally with it than Biden. And then you get Trump out there and he's a mess. Right. So I don't I mean, they're definitely going to try to run on that. I'm not sure. I mean, in the in debates, what happened was they said Biden's a vegetable and Trump is so with it. And then Biden wiped the floor with him. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, maybe this time somehow Trump has gotten more with it, but I've been watching him speak and he does not seem great. And, you know, he, he, you know, his 
it feels like Trump is running because he has no money and he has all these legal fees, right? And he has, I mean, this is sort of his only play. That's a very good point. And I was going to bring you to that because obviously money is hugely important in presidential campaigns. Is Biden likely to raise a lot of money, whereas perhaps unless Trump definitely looks like he's going to win, he's not going to raise a lot of money because he's not been entirely, how can I put it, careful with cash in the past? Well, he I mean, his legal bills are very expensive. So if you're giving money to the Trump campaign, you're giving money to the Trump Legal Defense Fund. So do you, you know, that's going to turn off a lot of large dollar donors, right? And right now, a lot of large dollar donors are giving to Nikki Haley, which is why the RNC is in so much financial trouble. Now, what happens whether Nikki Haley, when she drops out, if that money goes to the RNC, that's a real question, probably will, but I don't know when that happens. And then the other question is like, so he's going to have to raise significantly more money because of these incredibly high legal fees. And Trump rode this unearned media to victory. He was everywhere, right? He was on television many times a day. There were these news cycles. Can you believe he said that? Oh my God, he said that. And then it would be a whole, how could he say that? And then he would ride that outrage. And then he would say, I didn't really say that. And his people would say, how dare you think he said that? And that kind of stuff doesn't happen so much anymore because Trump is a known quantity. So he says something racist and people go, oh, God. You know, he says all Mexicans are rapists. And there's no, nobody says like, oh, my God. And so I do think ultimately it's not, he's not running the same campaign he was in 2016. Um, I, I want to get back onto Biden in a second, but I just wanted, I heard quite a bit from Nikki Haley last week uh, in Miami. And uh, she was saying, Trump cannot win. I can win as the candidate. Uh, if Biden is continues as the candidate, he won't last a full term and his vice president, will Kamala Harris, will end up as president. So one way or another, the United States is going to have a woman president very soon. Do you, do you agree with that? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's a smart play for her, right? It's a smart play. I mean, she's running against oh, she's running against age. The problem with this plan is that voters are old, right? Voters are old. The people who vote, the majority of voters are old. They are not young. So they are not people who, I mean, the reason why we have so many old politicians is because we have so many old voters. So I I don't know that running on ageism is the win she thinks it is. It, it didn't, I mean, look, I think Nikki Haley does a lot of good stuff because for them, for Republicans to see a Republican candidate who believes in democracy is very good because they've seen a lot of Republican candidates who don't believe in democracy. So I think it's a real win. Um, and she also, she try, you know, she tries to call out some of his really misogynistic behavior, which I also think is a win. So, you know, in my mind, I don't think she should drop out. I hope she gets money and I hope she stays in it. But I'm not convinced that ageism is, uh, is the play she thinks it is. That's very interesting. And then now to return to Biden, I mean, what does he have to do to win over maybe just a few hundred thousand votes in those few states that really count because they're really up for grabs this time. So what he needs to do is he needs to, 
first of all, he needs to show these voters that inflation is really transitory, which means things like chicken prices need to go down and wheat. And, you know, you need to be able to go to the grocery store and it to cost $200 for your shopping and not 300 right? Uh, gas is down. You know, we're like this net exporter. America's a net exporter of, ga- of natural gas. It's humongous. It's never happened. And then Biden needs to remind people what it was like under Trump. I mean, the thing is, Trump has his people, and that's a solid 30% of the electorate. And that group is not going anywhere. They love him. They trust him. They don't care about the sexual assault allegations. They don't care about the pandemic. They don't care. They just are his people. You never were going to get those voters anyway, right? They're not. It's not worth Biden trying to pursue them. They are not going to ever vote for Biden. The It's more about the middle. This like, actually, someone was telling me it's like, seven to 11% of voters now that are this persuadable middle. And that crew, those are the people you really, you have to reach out to. And those are the voters who actually don't like craziness that are largely, they may be partisan, but they're really, they don't think of themselves as partisan. And that is the group that Biden needs to win. You know, it's this, it's the soccer moms in Bethesda, it's the, I mean, I think Virginia's probably going to go blue, but you never know. But, um, you know, it's the poll workers in Georgia. It's, you know, it's that crowd. Those are the people you're going to have to appeal to. Well, we've got a few months yet to figure out exactly what's happening. Molly, it's going to be great talking to you again. Thank you, as always. There is indeed a long way to go. And I don't think we can take anything much for granted. I hope we can talk to you again. Yes. I'm Gavin Esler. Thanks for listening to The Bunker. your favorite history nerds are back yes we at we are history have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops well i have john you mostly went around finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays if i can find them it's a bonus we are ready to tell you all about what we've learned from the revolting french to some revolting women via some brits abroad and a foul-mouthed irishman so download we are history our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast with me john o'farrell and me, Angela Barnes. Wherever you get your podcasts. The Bunker was written and presented by Gavin Esler. The producer was Chris Jones and the audio producer was Robin Leeburn. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by Jim Parrott, The Bunker is a Podmasters production.